Good morning, everyone. Today we're going to look at Abraham. We're going to look at a life of Abraham, and he's one of these big characters in Genesis whose influence reaches way into the New Testament. We see him mentioned in books like Romans and Hebrews. Uh, he's one of the heroes of, he, heroes of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11, who, haven't, uh, who died not having seen the fulfillment of the promise that he was waiting for, but still believing in its fulfillment. Now, his story is a fascinating one and can be found in the chapters of Genesis from 12 through to 26. And as we only have a very short time today, um, we wouldn't be able to look at much of it. But I would encourage you to take time this week to have a look at the story of of, uh, of Abraham in Genesis. Now, who was Abraham? Uh, Abraham originally lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, which was a center of lunar worship. And this means that they worshiped the moon. Abraham's family was not monotheistic, and that means that they did not believe in one God. They shared the polytheistic or many gods belief of the ancient world at the time. In this type of system, the gods were connected to the world of nature, to the forces of nature, and showed themselves through natural phenomena. Those gods did not reveal their natures or give any idea of what would bring their favor or their wrath. They were worshipped by being flattered or cajoled or humored and appeased. In the polytheistic system of the Near East, the great cosmic deities, while respected and worshipped in national and royal contexts, had little personal contact with common people. Individuals were more inclined to focus their personal and family worship on local family deities. So for them, descendants represented the future. Children provided their parents in their old age, provided for their parents in old age, and enabled the family line to be extended for another generation. For farmers and herdsmen, land represented their livelihoods, while for city dwellers, land represented their political identity. So today we're going to look at the story of Abraham, and we're going to look at it under three headings. We're going to look at the call, the promise, and the covenant. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to uh, Genesis 12, Genesis chapter 12, where we're going to read the first five verses. And if you don't have your Bible, the verses will come up on the screen behind me. Genesis 12, from verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 
He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. We respond to God because he first calls us. And it's as if the call of God wakes Abraham up and drags him out of this fog of pagan worship. You see, after a lifetime of worshiping and trying to appease various gods who would not communicate with Abraham, suddenly, here's a God who speaks. God comes to Abraham and effectively says, Abraham, come follow me. And it reminds me of Jesus looking across the Sea of Galilee, watching the fishermen cleaning and mending their nets, and saying to Peter and John, come, follow me. That's God's call to us. Follow me. The call is a call of discipleship. It's a radical call to follow God. Abraham is now on a journey of discipleship. Abraham's call was radical. You see, he had to go against the flow of the culture of his day. Land, family, and inheritance were among the most significant elements in ancient society. By leaving his father's household, Abraham was giving up his inheritance and any right to family property. He forfeited his security. He was putting his survival, his identity, his future, and his security in the hands of the Lord. So we see here that Abraham's call to follow men that he had to leave some things behind. By making a break with his land, his family, and his inheritance, Abraham is also breaking his religious ties. Because deities would sometimes be associated with geographical or political or ethnic divisions. In this new land, he would have no territorial gods that he knew. As a new people, he would have brought no family gods with him. Having left his country, he would have no national or city gods. It was Yahweh who filled this void by becoming the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, we come into a relationship with God by repentance and faith. And Abraham having to leave stuff behind is a picture of repentance. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, he asks us to leave some stuff behind as well. From now on, God was going to fill Abraham's vision. And Jesus wants to fill our vision also. The call for Abraham to leave his idolatry behind is definitely a picture of renouncing sin. But I'm sure he also had to leave some things that were not wrong in themselves, but he just couldn't carry them with him. He didn't need them where he was going. And that's the same for us as well sometimes. Now, I came over to England in the 1980s with not much money and the expectation that the little money I had would be able to afford me accommodation, food, tuition fees, and travel in London. And looking back now, I think I was really naive. And thankfully, I was rescued by an aunt who took me in. But 
amongst the excitement and the anxiety of coming to England, I remember thinking, you know, the God who helps me in Guyana is the same God who's going to help me in England. And that's how I came over. And you could think for Abraham, he's leaving his country and he's moving and anxiety, he's leaving his all his religious props and everything behind. But guess what he finds out? He finds out that the God he's now following transcends countries and territories. He's bigger than cultures. And not only does this God speak, but this God is with him wherever he goes. God's call is powerful and gracious. And you know, we're dead until the call comes to kind of disturb us and makes us restless. Restless enough sometimes to ask the question, is there more to life than this? Abraham embraced a big call from God. He embraced a big God. Abraham is called to a big vision and so are we. The vision given to Abraham was impossible by natural means. And so is ours. Through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we are called to make disciples of all nations. And this shows just how his call is linked and connected to ours. So next we're going to look at a promise. And we're going to do that if we turn to Genesis chapter 15 and now we're going to read chapter, uh, verses 1 to 6 of Genesis 15. Now the background here is that Abraham has just come back from a victorious battle in which he rescues his nephew Lot, who'd gotten into some trouble. I'll read from verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the Lord came to him, this man, then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. God promises to be Abraham's shield, but he also tells him that he is his great reward. And Abraham's response tells us what was the big issue in Abraham's heart. And that is an heir. To him, that would be a very great reward indeed. 
Abraham, the former worshiper of the moon, is brought outside and shown the stars and told, can you count them? So shall your offspring be. God credited Abraham's belief as righteousness. And what does this word righteousness mean? It means to be in a right relationship with God. Because remember, after, Ab- after Adam and Eve sinned, mankind's relationship with God was broken. But God promised to put it right again. Another word used uh, for this would be to say that he was justified before God. And this is the word used by the writer to the Romans in Romans 4. Abraham was justified. And the word justified is a legal term that means you're pronounced not guilty in a court of law. And a pronouncement meant that Abraham could have a restored relationship with God. We need to note that Abraham's righteous, righteous standing before God was not a result of the things that he had done. It wasn't because he had done enough to become acceptable or to become good enough. It wasn't because he'd kept God's law, because the law of Moses came some 430 years later. And even though later on God introduced circumcision, that also came after Abraham was declared righteous. Like all of us, Abraham didn't live a life deserving to be declared righteous. Not once, but twice, if you read Abraham's story, Uh, You know, he told half-truths about Sarah being his wife and even tried to help God's promise along by having a son with Sarah's maid. But when you read the accounts of Abraham in the New Testament, he is just portrayed as a man of faith and his sins and misdemeanors are never mentioned. It's as if being credited as righteous being justified, covered his sins in the same way that the blood of Jesus covers our sins. You see, Abraham's justification points to the justification that would, that would come later through Jesus. In the story of Abraham, God gives a glimpse of his future plans to redeem from his, for himself a people from every nation, tribe, and town. Abraham believed God. The Hebrew word translated believed is the word aman, A-M-A-N. And it's used quite a few times in the Old Testament. And it's the root from which we get the word amen. So shall it be. But aman conveys the basic idea of providing stability and confidence. Aman speaks of certainty And this can mean to conform or to affirm, to be steady, firm, trustworthy. So our youth are going to go to New Day in the summer, and lots of tents are going to be put up. And one of the last things, those who've put up tents uh, would know that one of the last things you do is that you you get these things that you call guy ropes, and you, you attach a peg to it, and you get a hammer and you drive it into the ground until it's firm. 
And the idea is that even if rain comes or the wind picks up or storms come, that tent may sway, but it's not going to move. Abraham believed God. The picture is that of Abraham. Abraham has taken his stake and he's driven it deep into his knowledge and revelation of who God is. Abraham is forming God. Abraham believed God. Abraham doesn't seem to be someone who's going to pull his stake up and go and plant it somewhere else. No, he, he's in. And what this revelation, uh, what is this revelation that Abraham has driven his stake into that keeps him firm? He's firm into a God who cannot lie. He's firm into a God who never changes. He's firm into a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's firm into a God who is forever faithful. He's firm into a God who is a shield and a rock. And our belief is based on the revelation of God through Jesus, which encapsulates all of the above. God also changed Abraham's identity. Later, we see in Genesis 17, 5, we read, No longer will you be called Abraham, which means father. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you father of many nations. Like Abraham, our identity also changes when we believe in what Jesus did on the cross. But you see, the life of faith can be really tough sometimes. Now just listen with me to uh, Romans 4, 18, 22, where the writer's speaking about Abraham. And it says here, against our hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Abraham faced his reality, but then looked to God. Christian faith isn't about just speaking positively or speaking positive words. It's actually facing life's realities while depending on God's promises. Christian faith is a response to what God says. Oh, I mentioned that uh, later on, Abraham tries to help God by having this son, Ishmael, with Sarah's uh, maid, Hagar. And so in a sense, you could think, well, the promise was that it will be Abraham's flesh and blood. So here is Ishmael. Shouldn't everything just move on? But you see, God had not forgotten Sarah. 
the promise wasn't just to Abraham. It was to Abraham and Sarah. God had not forgotten Sarah, and God has not forgotten you. You might be sat here this morning, and you might know that there is a call in your life. You might know that there are promises. Maybe there were prophetic words spoken, and you might be frustrated that nothing seems to be happening. But God had not forgotten Sarah. She was part of the plan, and God has not forgotten you. So keep praying, keep believing, keep trusting. Abraham was declared righteous. Isaac was born in a miraculous way. But you know what? Ishmael didn't just disappear. Sometimes some people think, well, if God forgives me, I could kind of do anything I like because God will forgive me. Which isn't biblical, by the way. But we need to remember that sometimes God allows the consequences of our actions to work themselves out. Ishmael didn't just disappear. Finally, we come to the covenant. We come to the covenant. And you know, if, as you read through chapter 15, just after uh, the, the passage we read earlier, Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? You know, he's told, you know, 400 years, uh, you know, descendants in slavery and lots of stuff. Abraham asked questions. How can I know? And God responded by outlining the sequence of events that would, would occur. And then he makes a covenant with him. And sometimes we might feel a bit guilty having questions. But there's, there's nothing wrong with having questions. Abraham wasn't challenging the integrity of who God is. He was asking, when, Lord, and where and how and how long. So it's not wrong to have questions. But let's read uh, Genesis 15 from verses 18 to 20. Just a little snippet. Uh, and it says that uh, under the covenant, it says that on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kesinites and the Kadmonites and Hittites and Perizzites and Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergashites and Jebusites and all the ites. <laughs> so... Um, but it's a lot, it's a lot of land. <laughs> and in our day, we talk more about, coven, about contracts than covenants. And contracts are normally made between at least two parties. In Abraham's day, you might see there was a ceremony uh, that was performed uh, as we read through 
Genesis 15, and we don't have time to go through it all. But, it's, but in this ceremony, you know, God asked Abraham to get some animals and to get some birds, and Abraham cuts the animals in half, and he lays them with a space between them. And what would normally happen is that the parties to a covenant would walk up and down through that space declaring oaths that they will fulfill their part of the covenant. And so in some cases, what they were saying is that if I don't fulfill my part of this covenant, I am cursed. I will have the fate of these dead animals that I'm walking in between. Sometimes... If it was a covenant between a stronger and a weaker part party, sometimes the stronger party would say, mm, I, I, you know, I'm okay. But he would send the weaker party in to, to walk up and down and say, I'm okay, but I'm not sure about you. you. You covenant, you bring a curse upon yourself. But this covenant is, is different. For one, the weaker party is asleep having a vision. And the stronger party goes between the animals. God, symbolized by the smoking oven and the family torch, passes between the pieces. God cuts this covenant by himself, showing that its fulfillment did not depend on Abraham's ability to perform. And this points to the new covenant that God made with us when Jesus died on the cross. This covenant does not depend on our ability to perform, but instead we believe in Jesus and in his finished work on the cross. But in Romans 4, the writer says, the words it was credited to him, talking about Abraham, were not written for him alone but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised for our justification. And he's pointing to Jesus. So, the story of Abraham, you know, as, as we've gone through origins and we've had times where things are looking good. Oh no, people have sinned and things are looking bad. And, and we get to a point where God in dealing with Abraham is now pointing thousands of years to say, this is how I'm going to redeem mankind. And so Abraham was a remarkable man with remarkable fate. However, you can't but acknowledge that this story is all about a remarkable God who calls and promises and keeps his covenant even to this day through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise and thanks for who you are. We thank you that ever since the fall, your heart has been to redeem 
man to yourself. We thank you for the story of Abraham. We thank you that it's, it's a story what's and all. We thank you for the call God made resonate in our hearts. We thank you for the promises you gave Abraham. And we thank you for the promises you give us. And we thank you, God, that a covenant was cut in Jesus that gives us a hope of eternal light, of eternal life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.